Hello and welcome to the Eastern Front. My name is Yulia Zorja and I'm a senior fellow with the Middle East Institute where I look at Black Sea security. I'm joined today by my colleague Giselle Donnelly, senior fellow at um, the American Enterprise Institute and our first guest and also co-host Dalibor Rohaj, also senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. On our podcast, we talk about the many challenges to European peace that tend to emerge along a line running from the Baltic to the Black Sea, the Eastern Front, and about why those matter to the United States. If you enjoy this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you can get our podcasts. And with this... Let's get started looking at Dalibor right now and um, holding him responsible or asking him about why Viktor Orban is going to Moscow. Dalibor, you looked at um, Orban and the region and authoritarian tendencies and links to Russia and the Kremlin for a long time. Can you help us frame and understand why in the middle of this conflict and confrontation really between the West and Russia, a NATO member state, an EU member state's prime minister is in Moscow today with Putin? No, that's a, that's a great question. Um, we are at a very interesting geopolitical moment in Europe, one in which uh, Vladimir Putin is threatening to invade Ukraine until unless Ukraine and the West meets a set of demands he presented them with. And uh, that's a moment where you would expect a sort of unity on the part of, of, of America's Central Eastern European allies, because they should understand that they could be next. I mean, it's it's literally on the on the sort of front line uh, of, 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 of the alliance that these things are happening. Yet Viktor Orban has decided that now is a good time to strengthen Hungary's ties to, to Russia, to talk about... Uh, Hungary's nuclear power plant, Pax 2, which is going to be rebuilt and expanded using uh, Russian financing and, and, and the Russian nuclear monopolist Rosatom as the, as the main investor. Uh, he thought now was a good time to talk about increased gas supplies from Russia and also about uh, manufacturing of, of, of the Sputnik 5 vaccine in, in Hungary. Uh, this is consistent with a uh, longer theme in in Hungarian foreign policy. I was I was on a on a different on a niche podcast last week uh, with uh, a Hungarian conservative who is a defender of Viktor Orban, who argued that one lesson of Hungarian history was 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 never to place uh, too many bets on one superpower and always to diversify the portfolio of countries that that Hungary is working with. And it is arguably in this spirit that that Orban is acting. Hence also the outreach to China. That, that Hungary has been uh, very active, very active in. Uh, as a fellow Central European, I think that's really uh, the wrong reading of the situation. And, and I worry that this wrong reading of the situation doesn't stop in Hungary, that it also extends to Hungary's neighbors. In, in, in Slovakia, there was a poll that dropped uh, recently, which asks people, who is to blame for for the Ukrainian Russian tensions the situation on the on the eastern Ukrainian border and the plurality of Slovaks 44% said that it was the fault of the United States and NATO wow only 34% of Slovaks said that it was the fault of uh, of Russia there is a very trivial US Slovak 
defense cooperation agreement which is which is due to be ratified in Slovak parliament which has become this massive issue where where people are saying that now NATO troops will be stationed in Slovakia and amplify the tensions that already exist in the region it's 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 totally untethered from 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 the reality on the ground from 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 the fact that uh, an effective and strong alliance is primarily in, in Slovakia's national interest, much more so than it is in, uh, arguably, in, 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 in the interest of Americans. Like we can, you know, this this will be a recurring theme on the podcast. Uh, but but you know, America can live with a Europe that's destabilized and divided. You, you know, Slovakia probably can't preserve its statehood in such a Europe. So it it raises the question: What the heck are these guys thinking? And particularly Orban. I mean, Orban has sort of aped the Putin, you know, political model, uh, his own rise to power is a study in uh, how to be like Vlad to a certain degree <laughs> uh, and to play the nationalist card and so on and so forth. But he's also a, a hugely wily politician. So what do you reckon he's thinking? And is maybe it? to add to that, the follow-up question would be where does that leave Hungary, Slovakia, and other countries on the Eastern Front, are they still, should we still consider them as a viable part of the alliance? Or are they, in your assessment, on the way out of it? With Orban and Fidesz, it it, it really is a striking thing how um, he and the party he leads have transformed themselves from what used to be a very strong Atlanticist force. It was, after all, the Orban government that led the accession efforts uh, to, to help Hungary join NATO. I presume you, Giselle, remember that from, from your time on the Well, Sunday, let me tell you what hill. it was like <laughs> before the, before the um, cool. It, it really uh, was, I would argue, the... The two electoral defeats of 2002 and 2006 that sort of radicalized Viktor Orban. And I think the pattern you see is one in which he tends to care more about owning the libs and the Budapest elite than, than about actual policy substance. And he's very good at owning the libs, let's, let's, let's face it. But it is really to the detriment of, I would argue, Hungarian national interest. Well, so... How much does he really think that he will get sort of in return from Putin? Okay, if if things go sour, um, I mean, why 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 would Orban inject himself so centrally? Uh, you know, at, on the cusp of a potential war. I mean, it's just sticking your neck out a fairly long way, and it's not. I mean, it's not just the American response, but uh, the rest of. You know, like the Poles, for example, and other Eastern Europeans, let alone, say, the British or the French, you know, are not going to react kindly to this. It, that is hard to understand. So, so with China and the Belt and Road Initiative, you can make an argument that, you know, there'll be these like cheap loans to pay for infrastructure, although it's not like Hungary can't borrow on the international markets and that it's not like it's not part of the EU and, and, and you know, it's a massive recipient of EU funds. So So it's not like... It has any difficulties getting, getting money, money to build yeah. railways and roads and 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 and, and, and more sustainable money, uh, right, than it, Chinese loans without strings attached. But in the case of Russia, well, it's not even the case that there would be like massive Russian sort of investments happening in in Hungary. Uh, and you know, we can speculate about the sort of corrupt side of things and 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 people who sort of benefit directly from 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 from, from these ties. 
But I think we have to, you know, take it at, at uh, take these things at, you know, at, at the word of people in Fidesz and, and, and Norman that, you know, he thinks that it's not in Hungary's interest to, to rely too much on, on a single power, whether European or, or the United States. Uh, I, I just think it's a wrong call. So how do you understand and sort of marry on one side the majority of Slovaks, for instance, who feel that NATO and the West are to blame for Russia's aggressions against Ukraine and beyond, and on the other side, being part of NATO. How do you understand this cognitive dissonance, and what does that mean in the medium and long term in terms of you know, hearts and minds, um, that's a major battle in uh, on the Eastern Front. And um, does the West have any chance to build up support within Slovakia, within Hungary for um, for Ukraine, solidarity with um, with Eastern Europe? Or is it something, this cognitive dissonance that shows us um, that we're on the way to um, tumbling down um, European security and this is just one little piece or these are two little pieces in um, what uh, we will see in the next few years um, that the West is sort of in, in European security tumbling down? There certainly is a dividing line among the new in 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 scare quotes mm-hmm. uh, member states of 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 nato between those that perceive the russian threat very directly and very yeah. immediately like the baltic states or poland where like it doesn't really matter who is in government and whether we like them or not uh, they understand the sort of basic parameters of the Polish situation. This cognitive dissonance that you describe has existed in Slovakia since the 1990s. Uh, I remember uh, that at the time when Slovakia was actually being excluded from the first wave of countries to join the EU, so initially on the path to join together with the other Visegrad countries, but because of democratic backsliding already uh, under <laughs> Vladimir Mečiar, we, we were dropped off that first wave. Uh, so, so the government organized a referendum about NATO membership, uh, I guess in an effort to preempt uh, us joining. And, 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 and the questions were striking. Right? The government was asking people whether they were in favor of joining NATO and in favor of nuclear weapons being placed on <laughs> Slovakia's territory and the U.S. bases. And, and there were a few other questions like <laughs> Talking that. Talking about cognitive dissonance. Um, yeah. Then what happened was obviously uh, the, um, um, the intervention in Serbia, Mm-hmm. which which really struck a chord with with Slovakia's nationalists and and it keeps being a recurrent theme in in in, in Slovak debates together with this broader question of Kosovo's uh, recognition uh then came Iraq and 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 I don't think the sort of atlanticist side uh, really recovered from that like it, it has been a a sort of perpetual irritant in debates and although Nominally, the whole political class is committed to to our ties to the United States. Uh, it, the, the, the commitment does get stress tested on a, on a regular basis. You know, this sort of strikes me as that it touches on one of the main themes that sort of drove us to do the podcast in the first place is that these people are caught in the middle uh, between East and West, sometimes neither East nor West, but being caught in the middle is a very bad and historically not a great place to be. And 
in the over the last generation or so, there's been an opportunity to align sort of firmly, permanently, uh, profoundly uh, with the West, and also to help keep the United States uh, engaged in Europe. I mean, do we really think these people are, or or some of them are now ready to walk away from that? And do they think that they can? I mean, the the historical record of balancing between Eastern and Western European great powers is a very, very unhappy one. So it, it I mean, I, I'm still somewhat puzzled, even allowing for uh, the uh, difficulties that the United States has experienced uh, in recent years, to, to turn about and even think about sort of casting your fate with Vladimir Putin you know, that's that's very striking. I don't I think it's a matter of walking away. Rather, it's a matter of trying to eat your cake and have it too and, and just like denying that there are any trade-offs in these, in these kinds of relationships. Uh, and the real risk I f- see is that if, if this continues, uh, I mean, then the alliance risks just hollowing out and... You know, there might be a new administration. There might be sort of generational change in Washington, and people will look at Central and Eastern Europe, and they will see they will see these countries that are not, you know, doing particularly anything for their own security, are not being particularly reliable allies, and they keep asking for things on the, on, the, on a regular basis. And given you know rise of China and other priorities that that, that the Americans might have, that is maybe not worth our while to sort of lose lose our time and energy in in Eastern Europe. And I think that would be a you know disaster for Eastern Europe and probably wouldn't be very very good for the United States in the long term either. Let me ask you this to sort of finish looking at the region and these cognitive dissonances and where they come from and where they lead. So on one side, you explained really well how newer, um, with with the quotes on that, um, newer member states are sort of caught in the middle. Um, but they do tend to side with one or the other in different, uh, in different contexts. So to what extent, first of all, to what extent is the mixing up of these values an influence of being now for a longer time part of the EU as well, if we look at Germany and and its great influence in the region and where it positions itself right now in U- on Ukraine, which is problematic and, and opens up a lot of questions. And then the second part would be looking into the future. If tomorrow a major invasion um, of Russia in Ukraine takes place, where does that leave countries like Hungary and Slovakia? What are they willing to do? What will they not be doing? And where will they create obstacles when it comes to Western support for Ukraine? I think the role of Germany and also other sort of big Western European countries is very important because it provides a cover for people like Orban and for you know parts of Slovakia's political class to say, look, we are not doing anything different from what the Germans are doing. That was actually one of the arguments that was addressed to me by by my a pro-Orban Hungarian friend on, on, on this niche podcast I recorded uh-huh. um, last week. Stop apologizing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Na- namely, w- once I sort of raised this issue of, of Orban's outreach to Moscow and Beijing, he said, 
Well, if you're talking about this, then we have to talk about Angela Merkel, we have to talk about Germany, we have to talk about the sort of German equivocation. And yes, I mean, it provides a sort of permission structure for, 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 for these leaders of these small countries to to play their own little games. And, and I don't think that's, that's, particularly, that's particularly helpful. We've gotten off to a very happy start. Everything's coming up roses <laughs> on the Eastern Front. <laughs> and I guess that leads us to wrap up. But before we do so, I want to draw some points from, from this conversation where Dalibor has tried to enlighten us on the complexities of the Eastern Front and how divided people are. I guess what we can draw from this is um, that we have this recurrent theme, as you pointed out, not from yesterday, not from last year, but from the last decades of um, being caught in the middle and fighting at the same time with democratic backsliding which goes hand in hand and is being exploited by the Kremlin and beyond. Um, and so it kind of leaves the question open to what extent uh, Eastern Front countries in different parts of the Eastern Front, Eastern European, Central European countries, can be rallied up and can be built up to support, I guess, more solidarity when it comes to Ukraine. Um, but it's a question that we have not been able to answer in the first segment. So that's why we have our podcast um, to keep digging into it. Um, and with this, uh, I think in the cognitive dissonance um, of the Eastern Front, whatever that means and leaves another question open, we are going to wrap up from Julia Joja, Giselle Donnelly, and Dalbur Rohaj. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Front, a podcast dedicated to security challenges arising along the line from the Baltic to the Black Sea. You can find more episodes and additional content on our website, AEI.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts from. Please get in touch with us on Twitter using the hashtag EasternFrontPod in one word. If you enjoyed this podcast and this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Thank you and goodbye.